periodista me quiere y si no mi amistad se la pierde. Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. We have a few things to go over. Uh, we're going to get into the MLB playoffs. We're going to go over the wild card round. We're also going to go over the first couple of games of the ALDS. I also wanted to go through part two, uh, basically breaking down the end of the regular season, uh, just going through the top 10 players of the league, also the top 10 teams, according, you know, just stats wise. Also getting into some of the best pitchers as well. Um, yeah, and we'll do, do some of that. Also, I'm going to get into some college football and, of course, some Thursday night football. We're going to get into a little bit. Uh, of some news coming into week six of the NFL. So, like I said, let's get into the MLB playoffs. Of course, we are past the wild card round in the AL. You've got the Red Sox getting it done against the Yankees, six to two. I was close in terms of the total number of runs. Um, I had it being about ten runs scored between both teams. I did not see the Red Sox looking pretty dominant though uh but for the yankees anthony rizzo and Giancarlo standing were both hit solo home runs solo home runs excuse me garrett cole in the loss did not look particularly well he only lasts for about two innings giving up four hits uh four hits three earned runs including two home runs he also had a few strikeouts but he also gave up two walks as well for the red sox uh xander bogarts will hit a two-run home run two-run home run. Left fielder Kyle Schwarber would get himself a home run, and left fielder Alex Verdugo would get three RBIs. On the mound, uh, in the win, Nathan Evalotti, Evalotti would go for five innings, uh, giving up four hits, but only one run. He also would get eight strikeouts. In the National League, you would have the Dodgers getting it done against the Cardinals three to one. Uh, well, it was a very... Yeah, low output day for the Cardinals offensively. Pitcher Adam Wright was able to get a sacrifice fly. Of course, Tommy Edney was able to score on that run. Uh, they were able to. They were only well. They went zero for eleven with runnings runners in scoring position. So um, they had an opportunity to put runs on the on the scoreboard, but again, zero for eleven. It just didn't happen. But Adam Adam Rainwright did have a decent game on the mound. He went for about five innings, uh, gave up four hits, but only one earned a run. He would also get five strikeouts. For the Dodgers, Justin Turner will get a solo home run. Chris Taylor will get a two-run home run. Max Serzer, he was pulled a little bit early. I don't know why, but he would go for four innings, three hits, only give up one earned run. He would give up, give up a few walks, though, but he would have four strikeouts. And Kenley, Jen Kenley Jensen was blessed with the W even though it's pretty much like a save in, in, in reality. But let's move on uh, to the ALDS game one. Uh, the Astros get it done against the White Sox 6-1 to one, uh, last night. For the White Sox, Jose Abreu, Jose Abreu brings in the team's only R, uh, run. It's an RBI, of course. Pitcher Lance Link uh, takes the L in this one. Lasts for about three innings last night. Gives up six hits and five earned runs. Does give four Ks, but the five earned runs just not going to cut it. For the Astros, Jose Altuve gets himself a solo home run. He also drives in another RBI. Michael Brantley will bring in two RBIs. And pitcher Lance McCullers will get the W. Going for six innings, uh, giving up four hits, but no earned runs. He gave up no walks as well. He also had uh, four strikeouts. So, good game on the mound for the Astros. Uh, Lance McCullers, I mean, just showing you, you know, just the, how deep this Astros rotation is. 
I hate to say it, they might be able to get it done again. I, I mean, I don't see a team as balanced. Maybe, um, maybe Tampa. Tampa might be the only, you know, Tampa might be their only uh, team in their path. I know everybody is going to be looking at the Giants or the Dodgers, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, the Astros are always here. I mean, for I mean, I I, I like I mean I I you know, for what it's worth. I gotta go with the team that's been consistently on this level. I mean, consistently at least getting it done, and it, and usually is the Astros. I mean, they're here every year. They're in this mix. The Rays have been here a couple a couple years in a row. So, I wouldn't be surprised if you see these guys match up again uh, in that championship series. But moving on, game one between the Red Sox and the Rays. The Rays get the best of the Red Sox in that one, five to zip. Uh, DH Nelson Cruz and Randy Arozarena will, will get solo home runs. Shortstop Wander Franco and first baseman Yandy Diaz will get RBIs as well. And on the mound, Shane uh, McClanahan will get the W. Uh, he put in five innings of work, gave up five hits, but no earned runs. He would also have three strikeouts. For the Red Sox, uh, really poor game from them offensively. They would have nine hits, but zero runs. Of course, uh, they were one for seven with runners in scoring position. Not good at all. Pitcher Eduardo uh, Rodriguez will get the start. Uh, he would go. He would give up two hits, two earned runs. Uh, Nick Pavetta would come in as relief. Uh, he would go in for about four innings, but gave up four hits and three earned runs, including two two home runs. He would also have four strikeouts. Well, we are under countdown. Of course, we have game two. Uh, both of these matchups or both of these uh, series today and then we're also going to have game one of the NLDS so we're going to have uh, Cardinals I th sorry not Cardinals they got eliminated my bad uh, we're going to have the, the Dodgers um, and, the, and the Giants playing today they're going to be matching up today so not against each other of course but in their respective uh, series so it's going to be interesting I, I haven't seen too much of the uh, well I haven't seen any of the NLDS just yet so I don't really have have a dog just yet I haven't been able to really take a take a guess at that series yet any of those series yet but uh, for the Rays and the Red Sox I think the Rays are just a better team I mean it, it, going into the season uh, even in, well throughout the season uh, they had pretty much the um, what was it um, the best run differential in the American League so. That's one of the best things going for them. For going for them, they they're one of the uh, top ten teams in, in terms of uh, batting and offense in general, and they're a top ten team in pitching. But we'll get to that in just a second as well. I see the Red Sox getting. I mean, I'm sorry. I see the Rays getting this one. Like I said, uh, the Astros and the Rays have consistently been on this platform uh, for a couple years now straight. So I'm I'm I wouldn't be surprised if the giant Giants or the Dodgers see me kind of tipping my hand just a little bit for the NL. I I could see the Astros or the Rays beating both of those teams just just as of today. I'm just being honest with you. Just something about both of these teams here. People are overlooking. I know the Giants looked great great this year coming from behind or coming from out of nowhere, winning a hundred plus games. I understand that, but the Astros and the Rays, they've just been doing it for a while now. So I, I can't I can't necessarily go against that. But let's move on. Like I said, it's time for my regular season wrap-up part two. Uh, we're going to go through, today we're going to go through the top offensive players in the MLB according to according to their OPS, of course, offensive percentage. Uh, so first, uh, number one player in the league, uh, 
heading into the end of the season, we have right fielder Bryce Harper of the Phillies, 1.044 OPS, 101 runs on the year, 35 home runs. Uh, he also brought in 84 RBIs. Uh, he is six in batting average with a 309, and he had a 429 OPB or on base, excuse me, OBP, and he was also first in slugging percentage with a 615. Behind him, you have first baseman Vlad Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays, 1.002 OPS, 123 runs. That was first in the MLB. 48 home runs tied for first. Also, He also had 111 RBIs. That was, uh, I believe, third. Uh, he also had a 313 average, 465 on base, and also a 534 slugging percentage. And behind him at right field, we have Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals. 999 OPS, sixth in runs uh, with 111, 29 home runs from him, and also 95 RBIs. We also got behind him shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. for the Padres, 975 OPS, second in slugging percentage with a 611 with 42 home runs. Up next, we have Shea Utani. Shuei Otani, excuse me, of the Angels, 965 OPS with 46 home runs. At number six, we have right fielder Nick Castellanos of the Reds, 939 OPS. And we he is second, I believe, in, oh, actually, excuse me, Shio Itani, Shuei, ah, I got to get that pronunciation right. Forgive me, y'all. Uh, but Otani is second, of course, in home runs with 46. For Castellanos, he is a, he has 100 RBIs, and he's currently well, he was eighth in doubles at the end of the season, of course, with 38. Uh, at number seven is his teammate, uh, first baseman Joey Votto, 938 OPS, 36 home runs on the year. He's actually ninth. He was ninth in the league, and uh, ninth in. Major League Baseball, all of Major League Baseball and on-base percentage with a 375. At number 8, we have right fielder Kyle, Kyle Tucker of the Astros. 917 OPS, 92 RBIs this year. Uh, ninth best player in the league offensively, we have Aaron Judge here with a 916 OPS, 39 home runs, 98 RBIs, and 158 hits. And finally, we have center fielder Brian Reynolds of the Pirates, 912 OPS, 560 slugging percentage with 34 home runs and 169 total hits coming into the season. Let's move on to the best teams offensively on the year. Total, uh, of course, based on OPS, we have at number one the Blue Jays, uh, 796 OPS, first in total home runs with 262. They were second in total RBIs with 816, and they were third in runs scored with 846. Uh, their, uh, their stat line looks like this, 266 average, which is second in all of baseball, 330 on base percentage, which is fourth, and they were also first in slugging with a 466 percentage there. Moving on, we have the Astros with a 784 OPS, first in run score with 863, 221 home runs, so that was second in the, in all of baseball. They also would have 834 RBIs, which was good enough for first. Uh, they have a stat line of 267. That batting average is first in all of baseball. They have they were also first in on-base percentage at 3.39, and third in and third in slugging percentage with 4.74. So extra base hits, of course, home runs. 44% of the time, this team is doing just that, bringing in RBIs. Like I said, homering, getting a double or a triple. Like I said, 
extra base hits. That is what that slug, what goes into that slugging percentage. So moving on, we have the Red Sox here, 777 OPS. Good luck. That's what that <laughs> 777. That's what they're trying to get into the play. That's what they're trying to get in this playoff. Some luck right now. 829 runs scored this season. That was fifth in all of baseball. 219 home runs. 785 RBIs. Uh, they were third in batting uh, batting average with 261. Uh, they were also seventh in on base percentage at 328, and they had a 449 uh, 449 slugging percentage. So that was second in all of baseball. Uh, behind them, we have the San Francisco Giants, of course, 769 OPS, 241 home runs on the year, uh, 440 slugging. They were also fourth in doubles, and uh, fourth in doubles with 271. So again, fourth in doubles, fourth in slugging, again, that makes per completely, that makes complete sense to me. Again, the Giants, uh, they, they defied a lot of expectations this year. Me personally, I have them finishing third in the NL West, but that just goes to show you, again, um, top ten team in many different stats. I mean, it, the proof the proof is right there. I just personally, yeah, I'm just I, I yeah I just man I'm just surprised for one. But with that being said, I'm I'm leaning toward the, I'm still leaning toward the Astros or the Rays. Sorry guys, I just some about those two teams just being here in the mix for so long. I'm gonna keep saying it. <laughs> they gonna they gonna get it again. I'm sorry guys. The Reds, I have the Reds here at the fifth place spot, 759 OPS, eighth in slugging with a 431, 222 home runs. Yeah, 222 home runs. So uh, again, the Reds were a surprising team too. Um, again, they uh, like I said, they had two players in the top ten overall in terms of offensive production. And they just happened to just missed out, miss out on the playoffs. The Cardinals just happened to get really hot, and unfortunately for them, they didn't really stay consistent down the stretch. But so I think the Reds turned a few heads this season too, and I think next year that they could be in a in a position where they could probably challenge for the NL Central. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say that they're a winner, they're gonna win it, but I think they could uh, be a lot better than what they were uh, this year, and they could start off a lot hotter. Um, of course, the number six team. Uh, offensively is the LA Dodgers, 759 OPS, 799 RBIs, which was fourth in all of baseball, 830, 830 runs scored, which was fourth. Uh, moving on, we have the Chicago White Sox, 758 OPS, third in all base percentage with a 330, and fifth in batting average with 256. We have the Atlanta Braves behind them with a 754 OPS, fifth in slugging percentage with a 435, and they are third in home runs. 239 for them on the year. The Nationals are behind them at 754 OPS, fourth in batting average in baseball with a 258. And finally, uh, we have here Tampa Bay with a 749 OPS, 810 RBIs, 857 runs scored. That was second um, in all of baseball. 810 RBIs, that was good enough for third. And I think overall, again, with the pitching staff that looked pretty good, uh, this team, again, had the uh, best run differential in all of the AL. So, and I think the second next to the Dodgers. So, you know, they don't talk about those things when they when they mention, you know, the Rays. They don't mention their record against above 500 teams. The same thing with the Astros. 
I think those are two stats that are going to push both of those teams. Could I mean, I think these are, those are stats that could possibly push both of those teams over the top. But that's me. Uh, again, I'm riding a lot. I'm riding heavy on the AL this year. Why? I don't know. I just I just feel it. That's just my feeling right now. The best pitchers, moving on to the best pitchers in the league, we have at number one, Kerber Burns of the Brewers, 243 ERA. Of course, uh, this this uh, is going to be based on the ERA stat, so the 10 best pitchers based based on the ERA. Uh, for Kerber Bur Burns of the Brewers, he's a 243 ERA, 11-5 win-to-loss record. He has 234 strikeouts, fifth in baseball, uh, 0.94 whip, and he is second in batting average allowed with a, actually sorry his whip is second in baseball and he is uh, the fourth uh, the fourth best batting average allowed against his opponents at a two a 201 so his opponents only hidden hidden him ah his opponents have a batting average against him of a 201 so really solid there that is fourth best in the league behind him we have Max Serzer of the Dodgers 2.46 ERA 15-4 win and loss record, 236, 236 strikeouts, and he also has a, a zero or a .86 whip, which is first in all of baseball. And his opponent, his opponent's batting average against him is 185. That is first in baseball. Behind him, we have his teammate Walker Bueller, uh, 2.47 ERA, 16-4 win loss record, 212 strikeouts. .97 whip that is fourth in baseball and he is second in his in the batting average allowed uh, with a 199 uh, behind him we have Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers again Brewers and Dodgers seem to have the best pitching staffs uh, 256 ERA at least in terms of individual output we'll look at the team standards in a second uh, .96 e, sorry .96 whip which is third and behind him at fifth we have Zach Wheeler of the Phillies 2.78 ERA 14-10 win loss record and then at number six we have Kevin Gossman of the Giants 2.81 ERA 247 strikeouts that is good enough for second in baseball behind him we have Robbie Ray of the Blue Jays 2.84 ERA he has 248 strikeouts and he also is eighth in whip uh, with a 1.04 uh, we also have Julio uh, Julio Urias of the Dodgers 2.96 ERA he has the most wins so far well, he has the most wins on the season with 20 just three losses for him uh, we also have Marcus Stroman of the Mets behind him 302 ERA of course uh, third sorry 10 to 13 win loss record but a lot of that becomes well, a lot of that comes with the territory of just the, the Mets not being a good team overall um, Marcus Stroman's numbers, how are as a pitcher him as as a pitcher on his own, are pretty solid. You know, therefore he he is a top ten, even though his record might not show up. And because again, that the record stat is kind of more so reflective of run support and what you know the other aspects of the team is you know that those aspects like you know again like I said run support defensive lapses you know it doesn't really account for all that so again it's a stat that goes along with it but again ERA is the most important stat here that is what we're defining the top pitchers as 302 ERA is not that bad at number 10 we have Matt because look at number 10 and, and Max Freed just a little bit he has a slightly higher ERA than Marcus Stroman uh, of course, uh, Freed is playing for the Braves. Uh, 
Freed has a record of 14 and 7. Now that is a that is a lot to do with because Atlanta is just a better team. That's the way it is. Uh Max Freed also has a 1.09 whip on top of that. Let's look at some of the best closers in all of baseball right now. First up, we have Mark Millicon with 39 saves, 2.23 ERA to finish off the year, 1.22 whip, 2. Sorry, uh, 228 average that he's given up. Uh, again, that's uh, not bad, not bad overall. Most saves, but he does have the most saves in baseball. Liam Hendricks of the White Sox is right behind him. Uh, 38, uh, 38 saves to close out the regular season. 2.54 ERA. Zero, sorry, .73 WHIP. One, uh, sorry, 174 opponent uh, batting average that he's given up. Really good numbers there as well. Uh, Kenley Jensen, 38 saves, 2.22 ERA, 1.04 WHIP. He also has a very low average that he's given up as well with a 153. Will Smith of the Braves has 37 saves, 3.44 ERA. And Josh Hader of the Brewers, he has some nasty stuff as well. 34 saves from him, 1.23 ERA with a 0.84 whip. Now let's take a look at pitching by the squad. Again, the Dodgers and the Giants, of course, no surprise there. Some of the best pitching on the season. Dodgers had 106 wins. 301 total ERA, 486 runs allowed. Uh, how you look on at it, I I look at it as the first, as them being the best in that stat. Uh, but in terms of runs allowed, that is the least amount, so they would put them at 30th. And like I said, it's all about how you want to look at the stat. But they only gave up 486 runs on the year, the least amount in all of baseball. They also rank second in total strikeouts with 15, sorry, with 1,599. They were also in uh, first in whip, and that was a 1.1, sorry, 1.10 whip. There you go. Behind them, we have the Giants, of course, 107 wins, 3.24 ERA. They were second in runs allowed with 524. They were second in whip as well with a 1.10. 15 and they also had a opponent batting average of 230 that was fifth in baseball behind them we have the brewers they got 95 wins on the year 3.5 era third in runs allowed with 558 fourth in whip with a 1.18 they're also second in opponent opponent's batting average with a 218 and they were first in strikeouts with 1618 uh, up next we have the rays they had uh, 100 wins was the most in the american league 3.67 era third in baseball and whip with a 1.17 behind them we have the white Sox with a 3.73 total era Third in strikeouts with fifth, sorry, fifteen hundred over fifteen hundred and eighty-eight, and then uh, we have the Yankees here with a three point seven four ERA. Uh, fourth in strikeouts with fifteen hundred sixty-nine, and then at seventh we have the Astros here three point seven six ERA. They were third in opponents' batting average with a two point two nine. And then behind them, we have number eight. We have the Braves with a 388 ERA. They were ninth in runs allowed, so a top 10 team in that stat, 608. And then behind them, we have the Mets. Again, the Mets have a solid pitching staff, but they just did not get the right run support. They were ninth in total ERA, 3.9. Not terrible. Uh, again, we look at the team. We look at a team like the Blue Jays, who were a little bit closer, getting a little bit closer to the playoff picture than they were. 
they were 10th in ERA with a 3.91, and uh, they weren't. They were just slightly worse than the Braves, who are in the playoffs with a 3.88. So again, uh, ERA is the most important stat, stat for pitchers. <laughs> is the is is the point I'm making here, and uh, record. I mean, there of course is important, you know, because you're going to make the playoffs based on it or not, but. Again, there is a lot of more factors into you know why a team may may look the way that they do. But let's move on to some of the award finalists. Uh, let's talk about the AL MVP first. Uh, we have DH Shuei or well, sorry, DH slash pitcher Shuei Otani of the Angels, 257 batting average this year, 103 runs, 46 home runs, 100 RBIs. He also stole 26 bases this year. Uh, we have first baseman uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays. We've talked so much about him. Home run leader, triple crown, was uh, was such a threat this year for him. He was close to getting that. Uh, we also have Marcus Simeon of the Blue Jays. His teammate, 265 batting average, 115 runs scored this year, 400 and, sorry, 45 home runs, and 105 RBIs. And finally, uh, one of our top finalists, we have right fielder Aaron Judge of the Yankees, 237 average, 89 runs, 39 home runs, 98 RBIs. You know, again, I think everybody's, a lot of people's favorite is going to be Shuei. I, I could understand why. I, I'm i a little bit slanted to Vlad Guerrero because I feel like he was a little bit more well-rounded being that he was a triple closer to the triple crown, meaning at least three different stack categories he was leading in. Um, so it's just kind of, I think it's just kind of preference. And I wouldn't even, I mean, I could see Marcus Simeon definitely being a dark horse with the season he's had. He came out, came out of nowhere, and uh, I think this is the most amount of home runs he's hit in his career, as well as RBIs. Um, he's on a team that hit the ball very well throughout the entire season, so I know he got a lot of eyes on him. A team that was close to making the playoffs. So, um, you know, I'm 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 a little bit you know slanted towards Black Guerrero, but I would not be disappointed if Shuei won, and I would still congratulate him. Um, Aaron Judge had a pretty decent season as well. And, of course, he's on the big, bad Yankee squad. So, again, he's going to always get some love. Or whoever shows up on that team is going to get some love that year. Um, in the NL, in the MVP race, uh, the finalists here, we have Juan Soto. We broke down his stats. Uh, top 10 offensive player. So was Bryce Harper of the Phillies. And then, finally, Fernando Tatis, Jr. Padres, all three top 10 offensive players in the league. Uh they got, I mean, for Tatis, he has so many years uh, on him to go. Soto, the same thing. Bryce Harper is a, is definitely a veteran. This one, I'm, I think this one is a little bit more up in the air. I don't really know where they go with this one. Um, I mean, I think Bryce, again, he ranks a little bit higher in offensive stats. Both of these teams, all three of these guys played on teams that kind of missed their mark. So it'll really kind of be like, where do you, I mean, you know, which guy do you like? I think I think that's what it comes down to for this pick. Um, let's move on to the AL side. Young, we have Robbie Ray of the Blue Jays. We also got Garrett Cole, the Yankees. He had a three point three two, sorry, a three point two ERA, 16, 16 uh, wins on a year compared to eight losses. He also had two hundred and forty five strikeouts. Behind him, we had Lance Lynn of the Chicago White Sox, two point six nine ERA. 11, 11 to 6 win and loss record, 176 strikeouts. And uh, finally, behind him, we have Jose Barrios of the Blue Jays, 3.52 ERA, 12 9 win loss record. Uh, he also had 204 strikeouts. This one I feel could probably go either way. Um, I think 
Lynn, Cole, and Robbie Ray, even Barrios are all in the mix. I, I don't really have a favorite in this one, uh, per se. Um, I think all, all these guys are well-deserving. Uh, Cole is probably definitely in there because of his Yankee affiliation. But, hey, what, what, what can you say about that one? But, again, another pick. Uh, I think that's a wide-open race. I think whoever gets that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain. Uh, moving on to the NL side, you know, kind of the same thing. Zach Wheeler, Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, Corbin Burns. Um, at least with the with Scherzer, Bueller, and Burns, I think those are your definite three. Out of those three guys, I can't say a guy. I can't see where any of them really distinguish themselves against the the, uh, the, the other two. And that's not to say that it's a bad thing. It's just that they're just all that good. I mean. Um, it's just kind of what do you? I mean, who do you like? Who do you, who do you like in this one? Um, let's move on to the AL Rookie of the Year. We have left fielder Andy Randy Orozarena of the Rays, two seventy four average, ninety four runs this year that he scored, twenty home runs, sixty seven RBIs. He also has twenty stolen bases. We have his teammate shortstop Wander Franco behind him, uh, two uh, eighty eight average, fifty three run home runs, uh, just seven home runs. Uh, and then we also have pitcher Luis Garcia, uh, 330 average, 11 to, oh, sorry, uh, and he plays for the Astros, by the way, Luis Garcia, 330, sorry, 330 average, 11 to 8 win-loss record, 167 uh, strikeouts. And finally, we have uh, center fielder Adelis Garcia of the Rangers, 243 average, 77 runs scored, 31 home runs, and 90 RBIs. Uh, this one, I think this one is for Randy to, this one is Randy's. Um, really solid year again on a team with 100 plus wins. They are favorite, at least in their league, to come out of there with their pennant. I mean, why would you not go for that one? Outside of that, maybe you look at what uh Garcia, I mean, and that for Luis Garcia, he you look at what he's done again, same situation with a really good team that could possibly win, you know, win the AL. Uh, Adelis Garcia, he started off kind of hot, he kind of had a uh, uh, you know, he kind of dipped over the last part of the season. So I, I, I think we, you can, you definitely looking at Randy with this one. Again, he played last year. I don't know how all those rules work. I think he was just available for the playoffs. So I guess that doesn't really burn his rookie status. I don't know how that works, but again, I got Randy, uh, Randy taking that award. In the NL, we have second baseman Jonathan India of the Reds, 269 batting average, 98 runs scored, 21 home runs, 69 RBIs. Uh, starting pitcher, we have Trevor Rogers of the Marlins, 2.64 ERA, 7-8 win-loss record, 156 strikeouts. Uh, at shortstop, uh, we have uh, Edmundo Sosa, 271 average. I believe he plays for the Cardinals. Uh 200, 271 average, three, 39, sorry, uh, 39 runs, six home runs, 27 RBIs, and we have Dylan Carlson, I believe the Cardinals as well, as well, Cardinals, he plays for the Cardinals as well, 266 average, 79 runs, 18 home runs, 65 RBIs. Um, this one is a little bit more clear and dry. I like Jonathan India again. Uh, he's close to uh, he's he actually is top ten in certain stats, if not that, then maybe top fifteen, top twenty. Um, I believe in like runs scored. I also believe in batting average. He has a significantly high batting average as well. Um, I, again, he's just done a lot this year, and again on the team that was, I think finding its cusp and finding you know finding its its way with the Reds. 
I think the Reds are a lot better than they are. They're going to be a lot better next year than they were this year. Um, and I think Jonathan India is going to be a factor in that. So I got Jonathan India winning the NL Rookie of the Year. And finally, we got uh, the Manager of the Year. Um, in the AL, we have Kevin Cash of the Rays, Scott Surveys of the Mariners, Dusty Baker of the Astros, and uh, Charlie Montoya, Montoy, Montoyo, excuse me, of the Blue Jays. And in the National League, we have Gabe Kepler of the Giants, Craig Council of the Brewers, Dave Roberts of the, uh, sorry, Dave Roberts for the Dodgers, and Mike Schilt for the Cardinals. Um, this one is going to be a little bit difficult because I know a lot of people are going to be looking at what the Mariners did this year. And because uh, I think people already kind of expected the Rays and the and the Astros to kind of do what they were going to do. Not so much for the Mariners, uh, particularly the Mariners. Blue Jays, I think Blue Jays had an outside chance. Again, I had them pretty much where they ended up being about third in their conference. I mean, sorry, in their division in the AL East. That's why I originally had them. Um, I think this year they might they might mix it up. I think either Charlie or Surveys gets it only because I think that the Astros and the Rays pretty much have met, you know, have met expectations. I can't say that they exceeded them, so I'm but I'm going to say that they met them and people already had high expectations for them. So I'm gonna I think in the AL they're gonna go with one of the guys that they really weren't kind of expecting. So maybe Cervase, uh definitely he had a strong uh close out to the season. I think this the, the the Astros were just so good and just had just so much of a lead uh in the AL West uh that, you know, pretty much that would have been the Mariners only shot was to have won the AL West. And once, you know, the Astros got up a certain amount of games, there was just no it was just no you know, there's nothing they could really do because the they, the the wild card race, even for the A's, it was just you know, it was just too crowded at that point. You had New York, then you had the Red Sox, and then you had the Blue Jays in that mix as well. So, um, again, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised with the Blue Jays with Charlie Montoyo getting it either for the Blue Jays again. You know, f I think f turning a lot of heads. Being a top 10 team in pitching and, and batting does a lot. You have two top 10 players offensively. Uh, you also had a top, another top, uh, sorry, a player in Teoscar Hernandez, who was a top 10 player in uh, RBIs. I believe he was like top three. So either second, third, something like that. So I would not be surprised if Charlie Montoya got it either. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm split between uh, Scott Cervais and also Charlie Montoya for AL manager. And as far as NL manager, I think you got to go with Gabe or Craig. Um, again, well, I mean, but the Cardinals had a good, oh, man, a good, good run too. But I think the Cardinals were dead for a lot of the season. They kind of just got hot. I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong. They got hot when they counted. But I think just the Giants doing what they were doing for the course of the whole season and what Gabe was able to do, because if I'm not mistaken, this is his first year. I could be wrong. Um, but what he was able to do with that squad, again, nobody had those high of expectations. I think a lot of people felt like the Cardinals could have won the NL Central. I was one of those people that had them one or two. Um, but it was either going to be them or the Brewers. Um, so... I think with you know where San Francisco was supposed to finish, 
or where we expected them to finish as opposed to where they did and with their 106 wins be having the best record in baseball that's enough for me to give uh, Kaplan the award this time around. Well, this time. Uh, sorry, Craig Council. I believe this is your third time in a row being in the mixture. I, you, I mean, it's just unfortunate, but the Giants just happen to be hot, dude. And, uh, again, if you're able to beat the Giants in the playoffs, you'll definitely be number one, the number one uh, pick going into the next year. You'll be the definite favorite. So there's your shot right there, Mr. Council. I don't know what to tell you, but I got Kaplan. Kapler this year. Anyways, I'm going to take a quick break. Like I said, we're counting down to some more baseball action. We have some NLD action uh, coming on tonight. Um, we also have some game twos for the ALDS. So get ready for that. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to go to more of the football side of things. We're going to be talking some NCAA football. We're going to talk some, some Thursday night scores as well as preview uh, the top 25 action for Saturday. So I'll be back, y'all. All right. Yeah. Riding by myself. Uh. Yeah. Uh. The world turning, the weed burning, them haters talking, I keep earning. No some will say life's a bitch, well, I'm going to keep flirting. And fuck that bitch for the money and Louis B. Purchases. Old folks jack my car cause they know just what this is. Niggas flexing hard with no bars, they got weak service. Keep versus Mortal Kombat, look at my ring. If I ain't ballin', bitch, then what you call that? Nothing but net, ain't back cause I never left. I did everything right, nigga, better yet. Rolling bomb for the niggas that's around us. Something like a contractor built it from the ground up. Now just... All right, y'all, I am back. We're going to break down some Thursday night football. Uh, the Rams, they get it done against their NFC West rival, the Seahawks, 26-17. LA moves to 4-1 and one on the year. The Seahawks, man, they moved down below 500. 2-3 is, is their current record. Uh, for the Rams, Matt Staff will go 25 of 37 for 365 yards, 365 days of the year. <laughs> touchdown, he threw an interception as well. Uh, Daryl Henderson at 82 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And Shoney Michelle will get a rushing touchdown on top of that. Robert Woods would have 12 receptions for 150 yards. And tight end Tyler Higby would do his thing, getting a receiving touchdown to help things out. Aaron Donald would have seven total tackles in the sack. And safety Nick Scott would have four total tackles and an interception. For the Seahawks, Russell Wilson would go 11 of 16 for 152 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would throw a, t uh, throw a pick. Geno Smith got in the game uh, in some relief action. One, uh, sorry, he would go 10 to 17 for 131 yards. He would throw a touchdown as well, but he would also throw for a pick too. Alice Collins. Only had 47 yards on the ground. DK Metcalf was your team's leading receiver. Five receptions, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. And defensive back Quandre Diggs would help out on the defensive end with five tackles and an interception. The big note from the game, Russell Wilson suffered a sprained finger, and his status next week against the Steelers is uncertain. He currently leads the league and starts among active quarterbacks with 149. Now, Smith will replace him in the fourth quarter, and he, like I said, uh, he would get that one touchdown going on a 10-play, uh, 98-yard drive, and he would complete five uh, five out of five. We'll go five, out, sorry, five of five on his passing attempts in that drive. 
Uh, he would also throw that interception as well. So um, I don't know what to tell. I don't know what to tell my Seahawks fans. It's gonna be a sad day. I haven't seen Russell Wilson not in that starting spot in a very long time. I don't know what y'all gonna do without him. I hope he's able to play because at two and three, y'all are hanging by on that playoff thread. I mean, it's been, I haven't seen y'all miss the playoffs in a while now, but damn, just to kind of see it go happen like this, man, I hope not. But Thursday night football is under, is under, is under wraps. Uh, I will be breaking down the rest of Sunday's action uh, my next episode. But we do have some more news to get into for the NFL. There's some drama coming out of the Washington football, football team headquarters in, I think it's, oh, I forget the city now. Uh, it's somewhere in Virginia. That's that, I think it's Fairfax, Virginia. But don't hold me to that. But at their team, there was at their team facility. There was the, there was a DEA raid, and uh, they also raided the home of their head trainer Ryan Vermillion. Uh, NFL players, the NFL Players Association, is also conducting its own investigation. Vermillion has 30, 30 years of experience with multiple in. NFL teams, including the Panthers and the Dolphins, and this case could also involve those franchises as well. No arrests, no arrests have been made or charges have been filed. An active player has already spoken to investigators, though. Now, this is the quote coming from the sources that were speaking to NBC Washington. They were on to say, "Possible diversion of prescription drugs." That's the quote that I'm getting. And how I interpret that is he's probably he's more likely giving out his own shit without a prescription and it's illegal. That's what I'm getting. Uh, this is a quote again coming from uh, the source. Uh, what we know about the search is very limited and what the DEA is sharing is very little. Any contact is being advised by investigators and also their own legal counsel not to speak on any of it. So again, the players that might be, you know, answered uh, answering to these questions or might have to answer these questions, uh, they, the, the league, well, not necessarily the league, but their legal counsel and of course the DEA don't want nobody speaking about it. So it's definitely a serious issue, whatever it is. Since then, Vermillion has been placed on administrative leave, and uh, the thing is, here he has some strong ties with Ron Rivera dating back to Carolina. So. Uh, the ins and outs of which their, you know, relationship has gone. I don't know per se. Um, you know, I don't know all of what Rivera might know about what he, you know, about what Vermillion is doing, but he'd have to know something. So it's going to be interesting what the DEA finds out. Again, this is just goes into more drama with the Washington football team. Again, they've been in the news for, you know, their name. They've been in the news because of their owner not being shit. And then here we go with this. Uh, some possible prescription drug tampering and misuse and uh, misappropriation. So uh, there's some real drama with this team. Uh, I mean, with all the teams that they've been talking about moving, like the Bills and the Bears, I mean, shit, the, the, this team might be forced to move just because of all the drama is spewing up by the NFL. I'm just saying. I, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Don't don't take that verbatim either. I'm just saying that's just crazy that all these these issues seem to going on seem to be going along with this team, all this drama, um, and it's not necessary. But that's the way it is. Let's move on. We are gonna uh, talk about some college football. Of course, we had some uh, top twenty-five action last night. Coastal Carolina got it on against Arkansas State, and they got the W big time in this one. Uh, 
52 to 20. Uh, Coastal Carolina remains undefeated. I believe that pushes their record to four. Uh, sorry, five and oh, I believe Arkansas State is now one and four. Uh, in this game, Coastal Carolina, of course, was led by quarterback Grayson McCall. He will go uh, 18 to 25. Sorry, 18 to 23 for 365 yards, 365 days of the year, four touchdowns through the air. Shamari Jones would have 118 rushing yards for a touchdown. Bryce Carpenter would have 82 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And Reese White would have 81 yards and a touchdown. Again, you get a running touchdown. You get a running touchdown. You get four passing touchdowns. Touchdowns galore for Coastal Carolina. Tight end Isaiah Likely will be the team's leading receiver with eight catches, 232 yards, and four touchdowns. Linebacker Silas Kelly uh, would have six total tackles and one and a half sacks. And defensive tackle C.J. Brewer would have a sack and an interception. For Arkansas State quarterback Lane Hatcher would have uh, will go 13 to 29. Excuse me for 189 yards, 185 yards. Excuse me, two touchdowns and interception. Lincoln Perry would have a rushing touchdown. Rob receiver uh, to Valence Hunt would have uh, six receptions. Uh, six receptions for 138 yards and a touchdown. And Corey Rucker would have a receiving touchdown as well. And safety Anthony Switzer would have six total tackles. Uh, that was all that we had for last night, but we do got some top 25 action going down today uh, and tonight. First things first, we got number five Cincinnati taking on, uh, sorry, number five Cincinnati 4-0 taking on three and two Temple. I think this is going to be an easy just tune-up game for Cincinnati. Temple ain't really bringing nothing to the table. We know what Cincinnati can do. They got Desmond Ritter. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. They can pass the ball. They can play defense. I don't know what Temple's going to be able to do to stomp, but stop them. I see Cincinnati getting a blowout win here. It's not going to be close. That's the way it goes. Uh, we also got number 21, Arizona, 4-1 so far, taking on 3 into Stanford. Uh, both teams are coming off good wins last weekend. Well, Stanford's and the refs gave that one against Oregon. Uh, Arizona is actually actually beat down on UCLA. I like their chances in this one. But quarterback Tanner McKee, Tanner, Tanner McKee excuse me, for Stanford will go 20-36 for 230 yards and three touchdowns against the Ducks. Arizona, uh, they still lead the conference offensively, 442 yards per game. They also lead the conference in rushing with, with over 200 yards a game. They also have the most rushing touchdowns with 18. They had 178 rushing yards and three touchdowns last week versus UCLA. I don't think Stanford can stop the run. Um, personally, I, I think that the plays that Oregon made that that, that worked pretty well. Um, were them running the ball. C.J. Verdell, he, he might have got knocked out the game, but he made a few good plays. I think there was a couple plays um, on that last drive. As much as I, you know, want to, you know, moan at and, and, and bitch and moan at, you know, um, Chris Ball for how he handled that last series, he did do a decent job of killing the clock by being able to run the ball pretty effectively. So I'm pretty sure that Arizona should be able to run the ball effectively too. So I... I got Arizona in this one, uh, Arizona State in this. I, I I'm comfortable with the way Arizona State runs the ball. They run the ball, run the ball at a very proficient level. They also have a pretty solid defense on top of that. Um, I mean, this game could go either way with just the way that Stanford has been playing as well. They've been they've been feeling themselves. They've been in the moment, but I I still I still see Arizona State just being the more balanced team in this one. 
moving on uh saturday we got a matchup between number seven ohio state who's four one in maryland who's unranked but it's four four one as well um Ohio State has been uh, has been hitting their stride. Uh, their starting quarterback C.J. Stroud is back. I don't really see where again Maryland could pose a threat. I see a big win. Uh, well, not a significant win, but a blowout win nonetheless for uh, Ohio State. Moving on, we have number six Oklahoma five and zero taking on four and one Texas, who is number twenty one. For Oklahoma, they've won four of the last five matchups by 10 points or less. So these point, these games have been very close. Texas could have had a chance to win many, win many of these games, but uh, they haven't been able to pull it through. Could this be the chance this year? Last week, uh, they showed a balanced attack, just being Oklahoma. They showed a balanced attack against Kansas State with 261 passing yards uh, and nine players receiving at least one, uh, well, at least nine players catching passes at least one pass and they would also run the ball at least 31 times for 131 yards they would also run for a couple of touchdowns as well now for texas they have struggled against the run giving up 4.6 rushing yards per play now texas uh offensively though is scoring 50 points per game since moving to quarterback hudson card to the starting to, to start and oklahoma's can still struggle defensively uh they will let kansas state convert eight of 15 third downs on them as well as four of five on fourth down so i think again the question for texas is you know can they can they sustain drives um will they be able to run the ball um, I think those are things that they would be have to be for Texas. They got to be able to sustain drives. They got to be able to match Oklahoma point for point um, because I think Oklahoma is going to come out scoring Texas. I mean, it says like there's, the, I mean, you know, the, the predictions say that Texas is supposed to be scoring this amount of points. It, they're supposed to be scoring a lot of points too. They have averaged 50 points the past three weeks, but again, Oklahoma plays slightly better defense than I would say the, the other teams that they played, like, you know, Texas Tech and some of those other squads that they played so far. So we'll have to see push. It's like one of those situations where push comes to shove. Can uh, can Texas make plays defensively uh, or sorry, can Texas make those plays on Oklahoma's defense? Um, again, can Texas's defense? Well, back to Texas's defense. Can they step up and not? give up almost half a first down on every single running play can they can they shut uh you know can they shut oklahoma down and that's going to be a good question because oklahoma is pretty deep at running back so um this one could go i feel like this one could go either way but i still have oklahoma as my favorite and this year around i got them winning by at least two scores just because i think they're just a little bit more potent potent offensively and I also feel as as though I have a little bit a slightly better defense. So I'm gonna go with Oklahoma this time around. Moving on, we have number twenty Florida, three and two on the year, taking on two and three Vanderbilt. I mean, again, Florida didn't look super great um in his last uh performance. But I, I think Vanderbilt I mean, they don't bring nothing much nothing much to the table. Florida should get an easy win and, you know, boost up their, their egos and boost up their morale. You know, just by eating on somebody weaker than them, and that's going to help them out. Um, I'm not saying that they, you know, just come back and storm and take the SEC East, but I mean they should be able to definitely beat Vanderbilt. Uh, up next, we have number 13 Arkansas at four and one, taking on number seven Ole Miss, aka Mississippi, who's three and one. 
Arkansas uh, can can play great defense. Excuse me. They will hold Texas to just 118 passing yards, and they will hold Georgia to just 72. They also have one of the top running. They're also one of the top teams running the ball with over 220 yards per game. Now, Ole Miss will run a two. Uh, sorry, a three-two-six defense, meaning three down linemen, two linebackers, and six uh, defensive backs, which uh, had few, if any, answers to Alabama's running attack. Um, so I, I don't. Um, I do feel like Mississippi State can score. I'm mean, sorry, not Mississippi State, excuse me, but Ole Miss. They have a great quarterback in Matt Krull. Um, I think Arkansas can score too, but given the fact that Arkansas can run the ball, uh, they can chew up some of that clock, and they just happen to have a better defense, in my opinion. They're better matched up against the run, uh, and they're better at getting after the quarterback. I'm going to go with Arkansas by this one. I don't think it's going to be a huge you know, blowout or anything like that, but I do got Arkansas getting the best of Ole Miss in this one. Uh, up next, we have a Big Ten matchup. Another Big Ten matchup, number 11, Michigan State, taking on three and two Rutgers, of course. Uh, Michigan State is 5-0 and coming into this one. I don't see what Rutgers really, you know, brings to the table. With that being said, I haven't seen too much of Michigan State play, but I, I mean, at five and zero with a good one against number eighteen Miami, at who was eighteen at that time. Um, again, we haven't seen them play too many great teams in the Big Ten. I don't think just yet. They haven't played Michigan yet, um, so I, I think they got some time to go fully to really for us to really see how good they can be. But I think they're good enough to beat Rutgers. That's the thought. I think that's everybody's thought. Moving on, we have two and three Boise State taking on number number ten BYU, who is five and zero. Oh. Uh, easy win for BYU in this one. B, uh, Boise just happened to be on a down year. Um, yeah, I got BYU winning pretty big in that one. Uh, moving on, we have number four Penn State taking on uh, Iowa. Both teams are five and zero. Oh. Uh, quarterback Sean Clifford for Penn State. Uh, you know his the that his matchup in the big matchup overall in the game is going to be him going up against Iowa secondary. Uh, Clifford has only thrown three picks this entire season. Iowa has first forced twelve picks, and they are first in the nation in that stat. So that is going to be a, a great matchup. I don't know who to give the edge there uh, to. Iowa has been inconsistent on the offensive end, scoring just one hundred. Sorry, just scoring just ten touchdowns. And they would also have to settle for six field goals on 19 red zone attempts. And they also average about 320 yards per game. They rely solely on, you know, getting in good position due to their turnovers there and their forcing turnovers. If Penn State doesn't make any real turnovers or mistakes, I could see them winning by a close margin. You know, uh, I would see them winning by at least a touchdown. If they... Yeah, they, if they if they turn the ball over multiple times, though, I see Iowa pulling this one, but uh, pulling this one out. But I I just think that uh, Penn State is a little bit more capable offensively, and I I think that they're also a little bit more well-rounded defense, defensively to the point where they don't have to worry so much about turning or forcing turnovers. Uh, their offense can score pretty well throughout any point of the field, so I got to give them a factor there. Uh, again, Iowa has made a living off of field position and having the best field field position because they don't have an offense that can always get it done. So I got to go with Penn State in this one. I don't think Iowa's defense can just play that great against every top opponent. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll, and I'll take that. 
Moving on, we got number 24 Navy, sorry, number 24 SMU, Southern Methodist University out there in Dallas. They are 5-0. They'll be taking on a 1-3 and Navy squad. Um, I don't know too much about either team, to be honest with you. Uh, SMU is fairly is a fairly new team on the top 25 scene. Uh, but at 5-0, and I think they should be relatively capable of taking out a 1-3 and team. That's my opinion. Moving on, we got number two Georgia, who's five and zero, taking on number eighteen Auburn. Uh, the Bulldogs are currently eighth in scoring right now, and their quarterbacks are playing great with JT Daniels having a seventy-six percent completion percentage and Stetson Bennett uh, firing at a twenty seventy-one percent completion percentage. Uh, in his return to his starting job, Auburn QB Bo Nix would have 255 passing yards and 74 rushing yards against LSU. So look for him to be a factor on the offensive side as well. Uh, both teams play pretty well defensively, although I like Georgia and just the amount of points that they, points that they allow per game. I might give Georgia a slight uh, a slight advantage in this one just because of their solid quarterback play. Uh, but I do feel like Auburn could run the ball very well. And that could become a factor too. Uh, at no, at, uh, sorry, moving on. Another SEC matchup puts number 16 Kentucky at 5 and 0 against a 3 and 0 LSU team. I think this is a trap game for LSU. I'm sorry, a trap game for Kentucky. Despite them being at home, I still think LSU is hungry. I still think they have something to prove, and uh, they're gonna come out there willing to raring to, to to play against a Kentucky team that might be uh, a little bit you know, cocky from their win last week. Moving on, we got uh, Notre Dame at 4-1 going up against uh, 3-1 Virginia Tech. Um, I don't think Notre Dame comes into this one with a big hangover after losing last week to Cincinnati. But with that being said, Virginia Tech does some good things on the defensive side of the ball. I still feel like this one could go either way. Uh, I, I have Notre Dame as a favorite, but it could definitely be a trap game. Virginia, Virginia Tech plays really good at home. Uh, it's a trap game, but I still have Notre Dame being able to pull it out between, I would say, seven, three to seven points. I, I think it's close, but I think in the end, Notre Dame shows that it has just a little bit more talent to get it done. Moving on, we have Alabama taking on three and two, uh, three and two Texas A&M. Of course, Alabama is ranked number one, undefeated. Texas A&M, I think I've seen the best that they can do this year. I got Alabama winning pretty big in this one. And finally, we got undefeated. Number 25, San Diego State, taking on New Mexico, uh, who's 2-3. and three. This one, same type of deal. Um, I I haven't seen a whole lot of San Diego, but for, for, from what I know from the stats that I've read up on them and all I know about them, I, I could see them at 4-0 and just blowing out a 2-3 and three New Mexico team. New Mexico ain't got, no, again, ain't nobody. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about this one, San Diego State. Again, you got some other, uh, some other fish to fry. Yeah, Y'all got to worry about BYU, if I'm not mistaken. And I would still worry about BYU for you, specifically your squad. I think, I'm sorry, uh, for Boise, specifically for your squad, I would worry about Boise, Boise too. BYU at this point and at, at this point doesn't have to worry about Boise, but I don't know about San Diego. So they got to worry about Boise and those type of guys. Oh, actually, they might play Boise already, though. I'm not too sure. But, again, San Diego State, New Mexico, that's the easy one. I, I ain't worried about it. San Diego State does gets that a gets that a big gets a big W in that one. Don't worry about that one, guys. Um, this is a wrap for today. When I come back, I will be going over, of course, the scores over the course of the weekend for college football. Of course, we're gonna be going over the NFL. Of course, we got more MLB playoff stuff to talk about. 
We do have a heavyweight championship fight to talk about. By the way, I want to give a last prediction uh, about what I feel may happen. Of course, Wilder Fury 3. And I was thinking about it. And um, I think it all, for me, it may all come down to who truly believes what they've been spitting out and putting out there in the universe the past few months of going into this fight. For Fury, he honestly believes in his mind and his heart of hearts that he broke Deontay Wilder. Uh, that he mentally, you know, changed him as a fighter. I don't think that I agree with that. I um, also don't agree with none of the, the claims that Wilder has come up with since his loss, uh, whether it be the, you know, um, uh, whether it be, you know, the, the, the tainting of the water, the, 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 su the substances, the, you know, and also the, um, you know, the, this trainer pulling the fight too early, all this type of stuff. I don't believe in none of those either, but I think, again, if they believe it and they come in there really incensed about it, then that might become a factor. Um, I think if Wilder really believes that he was cheated, if, if Wilder really, you know, used egg weights or whatever, I don't know why he believes that, but if he truly believed that and really came in there with that conviction, you might have a, a, a period, you might have a, a Hagler-Hearns type situation where they come in there really anxious to get at each other, really trying to see what's up. And I think if, but I think if you are able to weather that, both fighters are able to weather that in those that beginning stages. I think you do see a technical fight after that. Um, I have been seeing Deontay Wilder lately. Um, he has brought a, a different element to his game. He looks to be a little bit more athletic, meaning he can move the move a little bit more. He has a lot better footwork. I think that can become a factor. Um, I really, I really want to commend him at least for trying to go about that and trying to mix his game up and become more slick and become a better boxer. I don't think he's an elite level to that, to that, uh, to that point yet. But with his power that he already has had, that's all he kind of needs is to just kind of add a new wrinkle. Um, for for Fury, it's and honestly, I think that honestly goes into Wilder's favor because I think we've seen. Uh, two different sides of Fury. I don't know how many more sides Fury or wrinkles Fury could really add. We saw him box for 12 rounds. We saw him go after Wilder for about five or six rounds and KO him. So what else could you really see from Fury? Um, so again, it's it's I'm, I'm still on the fence. I, I also think that, again, whoever loses this fight, um, go, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to have, well, I think even the winner, I think because of what we've seen so far with these heavyweights so far, this just generation of this group of heavyweights, I don't think is going to be the most remembered or the most, you know, praised if you compare them to, you know, Ali and those guys. I've already said this, but um, there is some riding on this fight. I will say that, but I'm still on the defense about it. And I, and I really feel like whoever really believes, like I said, whatever, whoever believes what they've been putting out, <laughs> out there into the universe this whole time. I think they they might be be uh, motivated enough by that to kind of have a factor. I also, um, like I said, I also feel like it could go, like I said, definitely go the distance, and you see different sides of these boxers, at least Wilder that you haven't seen. I I, I think so. I think Wilder kind of showed you something a little bit different. I think Fury can too. I just don't know what that would be just yet. Because again, we've seen him box, we've seen him slug it out. Um, you know, I don't. Again, I don't know what else he could really do you know but 
I'm gonna call the raffle today guys if you're looking to get in touch with me I'll leave my links available to you if anybody hasn't told you yet I love you peace out one love and I'll holla at all you guys later